Thank you, worship team. Um, my name is Eric. I am the lead pastor at our Riverdale campus. I am glad to be here with you guys today. I get to continue on in this series with you. I came up and did uh, week one in the Anxious for Nothing series, and now we're in week four, but I want to give you a little bit of recap. We're actually, if you want to pull out your Bibles, your Bible apps, we have free Bibles in the lobby uh, that look kind of like this, or you can do it on your phone. We're in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be jumping around in, in the book of Philippians, but this whole series is based out of that chapter, Philippians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament towards the back of your Bible, and it really springs from this verse where the writer of that book, Paul, who was carried along by the Holy Spirit, these are the words of God, but he says, be anxious for nothing, and we talked about instead, pray about everything with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's verses 6 and 7, and so we've been looking at what does it mean that we shouldn't be anxious? How do we get out of this anxiety-ridden culture that, that, that we live in? How do we act different, be different, live differently than everyone else because as we look around in the world, we see all kinds of things that cause us anxiety, especially as we head into this Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas season. You know, there are so many things about money, about relationships, you know, about plans, about the future, things that we're concerned about. But Paul says, nevertheless, even though there's so many cares in this life and in this world, don't be anxious. And so we've covered what anxiety means. We've covered um, how to fight anxiety with our thought life. Uh, last week we talked about that. And now today, actually, we are going to look at uh, when people make you anxious. We're going to talk about anxiety in relationships, and I think it's really fitting as we head into Thanksgiving week this week. Many of us are probably going to be around the table with family members and friends that we don't see often, and maybe sometimes we don't get along with those people or we're not used to having certain conversations. I, I bet I could say that at least, you know, all of us can think of that one person in our family that we know that when we get around them, some kind of conflict is going to happen. They're either going to be awkward or they're going to be, you know, the, they're the loud cousin or the loud uncle or the, the, the guy that likes to talk about religion and politics. Aren't those guys the worst? Right? No, that's why I love church. I get to talk about religion and politics all the time. Mostly religion. I don't really care too much for politics. But it is a fun conversation. When you, when you get around people, you know, you... Everybody has their different bent, their different opinions about how life should be, how the country should be ran, how people should run the church and businesses, and, and what kind of school people, your kids should go to. Everybody's got opinions about everything, and when your opinions don't line up, it seems to cause conflict in relationships, right? Even in marriages, you know, we're built differently. We have different personalities, and when you put those two personalities together, all of a sudden conflict happens, and this is uh, a, a factor for anxiety in our lives. And really, the question is, why do people make us anxious? Why does being around people make us anxious, or being around certain people, or having 
certain conversation make us anxious? Because if you're honest, you just don't like conflict. Because that's really what makes people anxious when it comes to relationships. It's conflict. And I took this from a book called The Peacemaker. It says that conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. So that's what conflict is. And if you think about it, okay, I can get, I can get with that first part of the sentence. Conflict is a difference of opinion or purpose. But I don't know. What does that mean? It frustrates someone's goals or desires because we all have these different goals in life. Like think about your, even your family. If you think about your family, you have a set of values and goals and a, and a plan. You want to see your family go from here to here, and you've got a step-by-step approach and certain values and morals that are going to get you to that place. Well, everybody has those, and they're all kind of varying and different, especially even in our, our extended family, in our friends, in our relationships at church, and so when we share our opinions with other people, all of a sudden we're on guard about our plan. We're on guard about our desires. We're on guard about our goals because we're selfish in a way. We're, we're prideful. We have a, a tough time admitting that somebody else's opinions or plans or goals or desires might just be as important as ours are, as important as mine are. Um, and, but this is why I think that we struggle. And, and I'll just say this. Conflict is a part of the Christian life, and we can't escape it. I was in a seminar just yesterday on conflict, actually. It was like a five-hour-long seminar conference, you know, t- talking to church planters and leaders on how to do conflict resolution. And the guy brought up this amazing point. He said, if you look at the Bible, there are only four chapters of real peace in the Bible. The rest of it are conflict. You want to know what those four chapters are? Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. All right? So, so the beginning before sin entered the world, they had peace with God. But then sin enters the world, and the rest of the Bible is all about conflict in relationships, relationships with one another. You have to realize one of the first curses that sin brought in the world when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden was that man's work was going to be hard, and it was going to produce thorns and thistles from the ground, and that uh, men and women's relationships were going to be uh, ruined because um, there were gonna, there's going to be this authority battle in relationships between man and woman. And so right off of the bat, conflict in the first relationship, the most important relationship on earth, which is the marriage relationship, and then you see it go on with children, with their children and their, their brothers. And the, first, the two, first two brothers, uh, Cain and Abel, um, Cain killed his brother Abel over some differences, over some conflict, over some, some anger, over relational issues, and even relationship issues with God. People had conflict with God. And then you get to Revelation 21, 22. Why is there peace? Because that's the new heavens and the new earth when God comes and changes this all and fixes this huge problem. But the rest of the book, this is all about conflict. Some people think I'm a little weird. I'm sure you do as well. But uh, let me tell you the reason why. Because 
I've been known to kind of be blunt or have hard conversations with people. Over the years, you know, I've, I've desired to, you know, talk to people about their lifestyle, about sin. I, I've desired to counsel people through tough times. I myself have been through a lot of sin in my own life, struggled with addiction, struggled with all kinds of immorality and, and issues, and God delivered me from that, and now I want to help other people do the same thing. But because of my background, I think I've turned into a person that's kind of brutally honest with people. And some people, I was, you know, I was meeting with the pastors a couple of weeks ago, and when our pastors gather together for these meetings, we talk about, you know, certain things that we're passionate about, how we want to we wanna lead the church in this way, and we want to preach on this, and we want to talk about this, and this cultural issue we need to deal with, we need to talk about, and, and sometimes those, even in our pastor meetings, it gets a little heated in there, right? And then you know, the guys, uh, this is kind of TMI, but you guys, the guys go to the, well, ladies probably do this too. You go into the restroom and talk, you know. <laughs> Did you know that men do that as well? <laughs> With several, we don't have a couch in there, you know, but, but uh, so uh, we go in there and, and somebody said to me, you know, you just love conflict, don't you? And I, I said, hey, man, this is what we're called to. <laughs> it, the whole Bible is seriously a story about conflict between people and between us and God, and we've got to deal with it. So I've explained to you what anxiety with relationships is and, and conflict is. Hopefully I've got your attention um, that I've pointed out it's a problem. And, but, but there's hope. Our relationships can be restored. We can continue to work through our issues, work through our differences. And so to deal with this anxiety as you head into the, the, the season of the holiday season and you're going to have to see family and, and friends and hopefully invite people to church and be that guy or that girl that talks about religion um, and makes your family member uncomfortable when you tell them the gospel, um, we can do it in a way that the Bible tells us uh, to do so, a, a way to deal with conflict, a way to do it with humility, a way to repair some broken relationships. And so we're going to go back to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first three verses here in, in chapter 4, Philippians 4, 1 through 3. This is Paul. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you. Dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. And here's, this is where it gets interesting. Verse 2. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now we're going to focus on this, whatever this relationship issue with Euodia and Syntyche is. You might have brushed past this. You might have just brushed right past this word and not really think that it meant a whole lot, or that's a little bit weird. Why would Paul add that in a letter that goes into the Bible? We're, we're getting a, a like a a picture that there was conflict between these two people, but there's not a ton of information, but there's enough information. And I do, as I prayed, believe that every single word from the Bible is the words of God, breathed out by him, and it's useful for teaching. And so 
with a closer look at this story, we're going to see how the Bible tries to teach us to deal with our disagreements. Now, it's interesting, as he says, Yodia and Syntyche, they're having these, this disagreement. I believe, and some scholars believe, that actually the whole book of Philippians could possibly, uh, a big part of it could be based on him writing a letter to this church in Philippi because this issue between these two women has gotten so out of hand, the whole church is seeing their rival to each other. This, almost this, this argument that's turned into a war, a divisive war that could disrupt the unity of the church. Because as we look all over in the book of Philippians, the theme about it is not only just joy, but unity. We'll see that time and time and time again. I think if we go back to Philippians 1, um, he's, he's writing this letter to the, the church in Philippi that he planted, and it says this, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. He's like saying, okay, we need to deal with this issue. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Grace and peace. He's, he's starting it out with, remember, we need to have grace and peace. <laughs> Remember you're a believer. Let's start out with receiving grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. There's some similarities if we go back to that verse where it says that... Um, I ask you might help these two women for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. Um, he's uh, also talking about in another translation, it makes it a little bit more clear that they were with him from the beginning. Euodia and Syntyk helped him plant this church in Philippi. And, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a, a context from Acts chapter 16 of Paul's uh, missionary journey to Philippi. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. If you didn't know Acts, the book of Acts is like the historical um, narrative of Paul's journey as he plants these churches. And so all these letters in the New Testament are letters to churches that he planted. And you can go see his journey in the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 11, it says, We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who gathered there. Now, just a little bit of context there. Um, in Philippi, there were Jewish people, but it wasn't a Jewish city, so they didn't have a synagogue. So it was believed that the Jewish people met down by the riverbank. And so as Paul's coming there, he's going to the first people that he feels like he's going to share the gospel with to get them to help plant a church. And it's some women. And I believe it's these women, Euodia and Syntyche. Um, and it goes on to say that another woman named Lydia uh, from Thyatira, a merchant, a merchant um, in expensive purple cloth, who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests. 
If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. It is believed that at this woman's home was the first church planted in Philippi. And Euodia and Syntyche were also a part of starting that church plant with Paul. But now they're in a disagreement. Now Paul's writing back to them saying, guys, we are Christians here. Don't you remember you started with me sharing the good news? We need to settle this disagreement. Did you know that we can have disagreements in the church as well? How many believe that? How many know that, right? You People used to say to me, like, funny things, you know, uh, people, mentors, when, as I was coming up as a pastor, like, that people actually argued about the color of the carpet, you know, and, and different, different things going on in the building and, and different ways to design the building. And people were fighting over this so much that, and I just didn't believe it until we actually started moving buildings here <laughs> in Brigham. You know, uh, we've moved, this is now our third building and, and it causes issues because everybody's got their differences of opinion on how things should be, how things should look, how things should be structured, and then it even goes into, you know, when new leadership comes into place, how you should lead, what kind of decisions should be made, and this is the type of thing, it seems minor, but these types of things break apart churches because of people's feelings and opinions about, about issues that don't seem to be that big of a deal, but because of pride, I think, it causes people to fight so much that people start dividing, and Paul is trying to fight against that in this letter, all right? He wants unity. He wants his church. So this is practical for our relationship, but he also wants his church to be unified. And so we're going to look at what does it mean for Christians in the church, outside of the church, even with non-believers or with their believing family and friends, how do we settle our disagreements, get rid of this anxiety um, start and quit burying our head in the sand and pretend like there isn't any problems. We've got to deal with sometimes the elephant in the room. We've got to have hard conversations, but we've got to do it in love. And so that's what I want to get to is how are we going to settle our disagreements. And we're going to jump through this book and look at a lot of verses um, to see how we do that. And the first point is this. As Christians, we should be committed to being a peacemaker, all right? God made peace with us through Jesus Christ. We should go out into the world and be peacemakers. Jesus, in his most important sermon on the mount, it says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And sometimes to make peace, it seems like you have to give up something. But you know, another translation for that blessed word in the original language is actually happy. Happy are the peacemakers. It's not happy if I get my way. It's happy if I can make peace. All right? So as Christians, we ought to be following after our Lord and Savior who, who came and made peace with us while we were yet sinners. He came and died for us. He didn't wait for us to come and go, get, go to him. He came to us to make peace. So maybe you have some relationships in your life right now where there's no peace. It's a broken relationship. If you're a Christian here today, you're called to be a peacemaker, to be the ones that, that's the assertive one, not the passive one, not the passive aggressive one, but the assertive one that goes and tries to repair 
that relationship because we are trying to be like Christ. Romans 12, 18, do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. All that you can do. Now, you can't control what the other person does. You can't control how they react to the conversation that you want to have. But this, this scripture is clear. Do all that you can do. Clean your side of the street. Make sure that your conscience is clear. Make sure that you've asked for forgiveness, that you've examined yourself to see if there's things in this broken rift or this relationship to see where, where am I wrong? Where can I be the one to make peace? And then another scripture here, Philippians 4. As we look at this, we go back to this. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche. And here's the key to that part. It says, because you belong to the Lord, settle your agreement. Kind of like what I've been saying. Because you are marked out by the person of Jesus Christ who has made peace with you, settle your differences. Because he is the ultimate example of humility, settle your differences and your disagreements. Because you are a billboard to the world. You know, Christian, brother and sister, as we go out in the world and we live our lives as a light, the Bible says, we are a light, a city on the hill. Are we any different from the non-believing world out there holding grudges against people, being bitter to one another, can't make up in our own relationships and our own family? What kind of a billboard is that for Christ if we're supposed to be representing him out in the world if we're constantly arguing and we can't get over our disagreements and our differences? Because you belong to the Lord, I appeal to you, please, Settle your disagreements with people. Philippians 1.27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Don't live like everyone else. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. The good news is that Christ came and died for you, laid his life down while you were still a sinner. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. You see, Paul's desire for this church to get over their differences. When I come to you again, I hope I can make it to you again. And I really hope that when I come that you really understand the gospel. That it's not about fighting for your rights and fighting for justice and fighting for your freedom. But Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to be able to settle some disagreements the things that we have done to the Lord are a lot greater than what people have done to us. The sin that we have, we can't walk around and, and say that, you know, well, I've done some things, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. No. Maybe you haven't done as bad of things as they have to you, but remember the sin that Christ forgave you of. And be in one spirit and one purpose Together with the church, this is really talking about the context of the churches, I hope I find you guys in unity, really understanding the gospel. Philippians 2, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. He's appealing to them through their faith. 
why is there disagreements in, in churches? Why is there problems with factions among the people? Um, it's because maybe we are still in our flesh sometimes and we don't want to get past our opinions and our pride. We don't want to come to the fact that really part of this Christian life is about agreeing with one another, loving one another, working together. If we're not working together, we, we can't actually get the job done. The whole reason why the church is here in the first place is to go take Christ to the rest of the world. We come in here on Sundays to be equipped, to gather together, to be strengthened, to learn what God's Word says, and then we take it out there. This is one hour a week, and for the other 167 hours of the week, we take it and we go do it, right? That is what the church is here for, is to equip believers to go share this wonderful message about Jesus. But how will we do that if we're spending many hours in conflict with one another and or not really being a great light and billboard to our family, friends, and neighbors because we have disagreements with them that we can't get over. My next point, put yourself in their shoes. This is really just humility. This is talking about humility. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, moving on from those last two verses. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Sometimes I am guilty of being that guy at the dinner table or in conversations. You know, I'm really excited. I'm, I've got energy and passion about the things that I believe in and do. And sometimes it probably comes across as that I talk about myself too much in a conversation. How many people know a person like that at a family gathering or a friend or someone you know that when you get around them, you try to tell them a story about you, you try to tell them something's going on in your life, and they're like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of a time where I did this amazing thing, and I'm such a hero, and this was awesome, right? Like, and and that, like, being around that person almost brings you anxiety. Like, I don't know if I want to go there tonight, honey, you know, because... I'm going to have to deal with his stories about himself and talking about himself. You know, I was thinking about this as we go to, you know, our, our dinners or our family gatherings, and I think we ought to just be a servant and really be interested in the other people around the table. We ought to be interested in other people's lives, and it really sums it up here. Don't don't think of yourself only or you think of yourself as better because when you think of yourself as better than others, then you put yourself above others in time, um, in conversations. Don't look out for only for your own interests. Again, you might have some opinions and interests and passions that you want to talk about, but you should be willing to listen to other people's interests, other people's point of views. That's called... Humility. That's one example of looking at the person that you're hanging out with and saying, I wonder what they want to talk about. I wonder what interests them. You know, maybe that might handle some friction or some anxiety that other people have to get with you, <laughs> with me even, right? Maybe we shouldn't be the person that people have anxiety when they come around. Instead, they should feel a love, like the presence of Jesus Christ. When I think about being with my Lord and Savior, I just want to go sit at his feet, and I know that being in his love is going to be 
unlike any kind of love I've ever experienced or felt. And how can I be like that to people in my life? That's, that's a goal that I would love to have, and I'd love to have that for all of us here today as Christians. The next thing, when in conflict, have these, having these disagreements, talk to them, not about them. Because sometimes there's an elephant in the room, or sometimes they did something to offend you, and it's, it's just to actually have a conversation and to correct them about it. And so Matthew 18 tells us how to do that. This is Jesus himself telling us how to deal, con- deal with conflict. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. And if the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. There's several other passages that say go directly to the person who has offended you and talk to them about it. Instead, what happens? A lot of times we hold, we bury it. We keep holding it in. We keep holding it in. And that's not the same as forgiving and letting go. It's turning into bitterness. It's turning into a a thing where we eventually it boils over to a point where we unload. And what do we do when we have an issue with someone else? Our first reaction, because we have the sinful nature in us, isn't to go talk to them. That's why Jesus had to tell us. It seems so logical. Someone bothers you, you tell them they, they bothered you, right? Someone, someone hurt you, you have a conversation and you clarify. You say, you hurt my feelings. I'd like to know why you did this or here's how I'm feeling. And maybe the person's like, oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, I misunderstood. But instead of doing that the healthy way, what happens? We'll hold on to the issue. We let it bottle up. And then we go unload on everyone else about it. We start telling everyone else, so-and-so really bothered me, they hurt me. Oh, do they do that to you too? Yeah, they're just a bad person, really. Will you affirm me that I don't like them, you don't like them? Let's start our own little clique of not liking this person together. That's exactly what happens, right? I, I, it is funny, but I know that in your mind or your heart, you're like, oh, shoot, I just did that recently. How does he know? Well, this is the word of God. God knows our hearts. The spirit of God searches our inward thoughts and comes in like a sword to to divide what's right and what's wrong to be able to teach us, to rebuke us. When we do that, when we go tell other people rather than talk to them, that's gossip. That is gossip. And what does the Bible say about gossip? Gossip is a sin. We should not do that. We should learn to go talk to the people about the issue. And we should learn to have healthy conversations out of love, not in anger, right? If you got to take a moment, if you got to think about it, if you got to process it, if you got to write something out, just don't let anybody else see it. But if you've got to process something, then process it. But have the conversation. Don't let the bitterness hold on forever. You are called to be the peacemaker to settle the agreements to have the humility as a Christian. Romans 12, 9 through 10, it says, don't just pretend to love others. How many times do we put on a face? You're angry at a person, you're holding something against them, you see them on Sunday, hey, how's it going? Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. How would we be as a Christian culture, as a church, as a family, if we took delight in out-honoring each other, like it was a competition? 
No, you go first. No, you go first. <laughs> no, you get the food first. No, I'll serve you. No, let me honor you. Let me talk about you at the table and the great, wonderful things that you've done. And the, 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 let me lift you up. Let me encourage you. And, and imagine what that would be like if you were in a family or in a church where it was constantly, we we're focused on one another, truly loving each other, wanting to honor each other, making it a, a competition. That's one of the things that I think makes the best marriage, actually, is when they make it a competition to lift each other up in honor and not to talk about themselves so much. Now, I'm painting this picture of, like, perfection to you guys, and I don't want you to leave the room being like, man, that is seriously unattainable, what he was talking about. I, realize, I stand here as the pastor telling you I struggle with a lot of these things. I have been transparent about my own weaknesses, and I want you to understand that that's okay. Christ died for our sins, but just realize those are the things that put Jesus on the cross, and God is working in us and through us through the Holy Spirit to help us get to this place where we have the teaching, where we have the power finally through the Holy Spirit to start loving people with real love, the love that Christ showed us. And that leads me to this last thing, in these disagreements, sometimes we just got to be ready to absorb the offense. First Peter 4.8, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love can cover a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Love goes beyond the hurt, goes beyond the feelings, goes beyond being wronged, and it can cover it. It can Take it and, and crush it and throw it away. Love can cover sins. If we think about Christ, again, his love for us covers our sins. But Peter is saying, love one another in the same way. Be so loving that you can really cover people's sins and not have to have justice for all. If we wanted justice for everyone's sins, we would be included in that and we would go straight to hell separated from God, but thank God that Jesus Christ covered our sins by dying on the cross, by shedding his blood for you and for me. And so we've got to be ready to absorb some things sometimes. We've got to, the Bible says, make an allowance for each other's faults. As I said, we are imperfect people. We've got to just accept that, that so-and-so is imperfect. My husband, my wife, my, my kids, my cousins, my uncles, my neighbor, my boss, my, my co-worker, they are imperfect people that will say stupid things sometimes, including me. I also say stupid things sometimes, and I've got to make an allowance for that. I've got to say, that's okay, I do it too. That's okay, they're imperfect. How could I expect a person to be perfect in this fallen world, especially if you had humility and you could look into your own heart, into your own actions, your own thoughts. How could we ever expect perfection from another person? You see how we hold things against each other. Rather, Christ says, sometimes you're going to have to lay down your life. Absorb those things for the relationship to be good. You just Sometimes you just got to take it in. And, and sometimes that requires for you to be really strong. Hebrews 12, 3 through 4, talking about Christ is so beautiful. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not 
yet given your lives in your struggle against sin, think of Jesus. Jesus is the model. Christ is the model. Now, this isn't saying to be a doormat, right? Refer back to the last point. Someone sins against you, you have a healthy conversation with them. You don't just let it you know, fester and turn into a root of bitterness. Have the hard conversation with the people because you're called to do that, because you're called to conflict. You're called to go share the gospel with people who don't want to hear it, and they're not going to like you, and that's going to cause conflict. You're called to live as a light in a world of darkness, and people are going to try to extinguish your flame, and that's going to cause conflict. But yet, at the same time, not being a doormat, but being ready to absorb an offense because Christ laid down his life first and foremost for us. So we ought to do it for other people for the sake of relationships. And this is my last verse as we talk about absorbing the offense, how it applies to us. We look at the humility of Christ. Paul in Philippians 2, some of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible. It tells the Christmas story. It tells everything. And he says this to the church in Philippi. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. That is beautiful. That is the gospel message. Jesus Christ, even though he was God, lowered himself, took on humanity. He stepped off the throne. He didn't need to do that. Or when Jesus Christ came down, everybody should have just bowed and worshiped, but that's not what happened on Christmas Eve. That's not what happened when he was born. They tried to kill him. That's not what happened when he grew up to be 30 years old and start his ministry. They were chasing him all over the place. His own people rejected him. That's still not what happens all over the world. People are not bowing down to the king, but yet he still died and absorbed all of the world's offenses, took them on himself when he died on the cross. And so for you and for me, if we are to be Christ followers, we must get rid of this anxiety that we have in the relationships. We're called to be the peacemaker. We're called to have humility. We're called to talk to them, to have a little bit of conflict, to settle our disagreements. And ultimately, we are called to be like Christ. And sometimes we'll have to resolve our issues through absorbing the offense. But take heart. Because Christ, your Savior, your Lord, your Master, and your King did the same thing for you. And He has now given you His Spirit to conquer your flesh, to have the victory, to be a lover of other people, and to love other people the way He loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your words. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Lord, it sounds, sounds so logical and simple, but yet it feels so hard to do, to love people 
some people that are unlovable. But God, in a sense, if we're honest about ourselves, we were unlovable. We were unworthy of your love, but you did it anyway. You, you made the way for us to be right with you, Father, and so thank you for loving us, saving us, giving us your spirit so that we could go and uh, love other people and represent you out there in the world. Help us to have just a beautiful holiday season with the desire and goal to, to represent you and to settle our disagreements with people in our church, in our family, at work, and at home. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.